0: Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, I'm Briony Merritt. Today I'm talking to Dr. Eddie Bruce-Jones from Birkbeck School of Law about his new book, Race in the Shadow of Law, State Violence in Contemporary Europe. Thank you for talking to me today, Eddie.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Your new book looks at structural and institutional racism in Germany and how the work of black-led anti-racism activists has tried to combat this. Um, Firstly, there's been a great deal of uh, news coverage about state violence against people of colour in the United States over recent years, particularly the deaths of Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland and Eric Garner, among others. Why did you decide to focus your research on a European context and Germany specifically?
1: Hmm. Um, Thanks. It's an interesting question because I guess it has two answers. One is that I moved to Germany a long time ago. I moved to Germany for part of college and then after college for a number of years. And so for the past 15 years I've been becoming more and more familiar with the German context and um, I initially went there actually to to look into and write about police brutality because in 2001 a woman named Mariama Sarr was shot in her home in Aschaffenburg in the south of Germany by the police uh, during an altercation in which the police said she had a knife and they had to defend themselves so they shot her fatally. And that that grabbed me because I hadn't heard much about the black community in Germany other than reading a, an amazing book, which I'm sure I'll get to at some point in this interview. But, you know, one of the one of the things I do hear is, OK, this woman is shot in her home by the police. What is this about? How is this different from the U.S. context? So my initial, you know, 15 years ago, I was thinking, how do I compare this to the U.S. context? And in the intervening time... You know, I've been in Europe, so that's kind of um, the first reason that I've been writing about these things in this context. I've I've noticed the connections and the differences more acutely, and it's difficult to find these stories in the German context unless you're looking for them and unless you speak German. So one of the things that I wanted to do with this book is to capture these stories make them accessible for an English-speaking audience and thereby also for other audiences that might not speak German, but also make them accessible for an academic context, the academic readership. So the audience um, needs to expand to hear these stories, particularly in a time like now where we see police brutality. Increasing, or at least we understand it to be increasing. My assumption is that it's, it's more that the media is covering it or that social media is able to capture it than it's increasing. But um, the German stories, I think, are particularly interesting in Europe because there's not much written about them outside of the German context.
0: And can you tell us a bit about your own background, how you developed an interest in the intersection between race, law and society? And also, you said you moved to Germany because of this case. Mm. More about your involvement in anti-racism, activism and how this led you to write this book. Mm.
1: So, I mean, I'm from the United States, as you can hear from my voice. And some people ask if I'm Canadian and um, think that I'm going to be offended. I'm not very, not offended. <laughs> yes. But i so i I grew up in New Jersey, I went to school at Harvard, and I was already learning german and then you know it led me to focus my area of study because I was an anthropology and African American studies major to focus it on the german context and during college parallel story, I was also into performance poetry, I was teaching with some friends in in a prison once a week as a volunteer and I think in, you know, for lack of a better term, I was becoming politicized and aware of the structural inequality in in our world, including racism, sexism, you know, um, homophobia, anti-Muslim sentiment in the United States, anti-Semitism. And becoming aware of all of these things, I tried to figure out how I would be most effective. After doing undergraduate studies in anthropology, I went on to do anthropology as a master's program in Germany. And I still was yearning for a way to use other tools, you know, other than writing in an anthropological voice. And I decided to go to law school, which was an interesting choice on my part. I spent part of it at Columbia and part of it at King's College here in London. And I thought that I was going to equip myself with the vocabulary and the skill set and the license to actually perform certain other duties than I would if I were an academic. You know, as a lawyer, and I quickly realized that I would first need to pay myself out of debt um, from from law school, but at the same time, I also invested more time in thinking about what I could do as an academic in terms of con- contributing to anti-racism work. So I, you know, the all of that time, I was really focused on still doing research and any legal advocacy that I did that was pro bono, on social justice issues that I felt close to, and, you know, I found my way back to being able to to commit myself full-time to looking at issues of structural inequality, and particularly um, uh, looking at racism and its various mutations in different places. So this this project is actually a longer-term project than the, the one uh, Uri Jalloh case, which is the main case in the book, um, which uh, you know, that he died in 2005, and I only became invested in the case in 2008 as an observer. But this the strand of thinking really relates back to when I moved to Germany in 2001. But I, I suppose I'd always been interested in issues around race, you know, being a black man growing up in the, in the United States. One's all too aware of it in the education system, being tracked into different, you know, tracts of study, and realizing that race has something to do with that yeah. is really interesting.
0: Can you just tell us a little bit more about um, Al Alrujalo, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. who, um, who who is one of the main cases in the yeah. book.
1: Yeah. So he was a young man from Sierra Leone who had applied for asylum in Germany, and um, the the asylum uh, his asylum status was under review. So he had a, a certain status that allowed him to be resident in Germany during that time. And he was picked up by police um, in 2005, really late one night or early in the morning. How you want to see it? it, was about three, four in the morning. And the police uh, had been called by people, workers who were stre- sweeping the streets. And they said that he was bothering them, asking them to use their cell phone and this and that. So the police came and they, they basically took him into custody although there wasn't a clear reason because he, at that point he'd been sitting by himself kind of at the side of the street. He had a few drinks. He was, he had been at a club. So they brought him to the precinct and, you know, here's where their narrative kind of takes over because there's no counter narrative mm-hmm. because he, he, he died and in prison. So they say they, um, they handcuffed him to the table for questioning and he tried to self harm and he banged his own head against the table and, and then um, they needed to put him in four-point restraints, which is very, very rare. Uh, one police officer testified he'd only done that once in 13 years. Uh, they put him on four-point restraints, which is ankles and, and wrists, yeah. uh, to a bed. And they said they searched him for any you know um, material that he wasn't allowed to have, including something like a lighter. And they checked on him every half hour, and at some point, um, you know, he was screaming fire, fire, and they went down there and he was completely, you know, burned to the point where they couldn't get in the door because of the smoke. And so they called the fire department. So that's kind of the narrative that the police put forward in court. Some of the problems around that are that the prosecutor didn't actually um, find it necessary to bring charges higher than negligence charges. So they, comp- the prosecutor bypassed the question of whether this, you know, whether he burned himself or whether someone else was involved, and that's part of the big structural issue here. But a wider issue that it points to is that a lot of people who who die in policing-related events, particularly people of color, it seems, are either disbelieved if they (laughs) survive, or their deaths aren't looked into with scrutiny that seems appropriate, given the disproportionality uh, of the reaction of the police to what they've done. So in this case, the facts are very cloudy, although there's so much, you know, there are so many gaps in the police officer's story that it begs the question of why more questions weren't asked. In the other cases in the book, it's usually a case where the police have have shot the person and the issues proportionality of response.
0: And um, so you look at institutional frameworks that govern racism and social movements, um, working in the field of anti-racism. Um, and what does this this dual approach uncover that wouldn't necessarily be clear if you took only one of these strands at a time mm. into consideration? Uh,
1: that's a really good question. And I suppose to kind of be upfront about my ability to do the, the work on the legal side, part of what I would have loved to have done is had access um, to legal actors, including judges and politicians and, and lawyers. Access meaning both the ability to, to speak to them, you know, if I contact them that they would write back and we'd actually have a conversation, but also access in the sense that they would trust me enough to speak with me frankly and openly. So as an anthropologist, I knew that I'd be limited in that regard, particularly because I'd been previously allied with, with activists so I used the strengths that I had to focus on the activists' voices as a way to also paint a fuller picture about the law as a social institution. So if I had only done a doctrinal analysis about what the outcome of these cases are, it'd be a very short book because a lot of the cases don't result in an actual prosecution and the charges that are brought are are lower than they, they might be and the cases just end up disappearing. But by focusing on the activists and how they see the law and how they see their role, I'm able to uncover a fuller picture about what people are experiencing in these policing interactions and how the the law falls short. If I look at the law as as a social institution, I'm able to capture that. Whereas if I just look at the legal outcomes, it, it it's not really. And this is this is in the tradition of critical um, race theory. Mm-hmm that looks at um, racism as something that's pervasive in law as a social institution, be it its actors or its structures uh, or its format, um, the exclusive mechanisms in which only legal authorities can speak and those without authority but with experience uh, cannot speak. So that's the tradition. I think this is it.
0: And your book focuses on black perspectives and experiences. Um, And is that something that hadn't really been done before in this sort of in this sort of writing?
1: Uh, yeah, I think this hasn't been done... It, it, so these stories, particularly in the German context, haven't been made a part of academic syllabi. So I, I, I really doubt that in in criminology or in law in Germany, people are discussing the range of cases that I bring up in this book and then probably not framing it um, along the lines of institutional racism. Because some of the cases are complicated, and there's this case going on right now, the National Socialist Underground case, that's about, you know, uh, state involvement potential in terrorist cell. And it it raises lots of questions about the role of the state and the role of investigations. But uh, the strand of thinking around institutional racism might get missed out. in in that um, case. And so I I think these cases, if you really search for them, you'll find information about them on the web, but not in an academic context and not for an English-speaking audience. So um, I'm hoping that the book at least takes a step in the direction of pulling these stories into real academic discussions on law in, in Europe.
0: Great. Thank you for talking to us today, Eddie. Race in the Shadow of Law, State Violence in Contemporary Europe is available now and is published by Routledge. That's all for this episode of Bet Voices. Join us again soon.